Well, like I said, I'm glad to be here today, and I'm really glad that you're here too, because um, this message is kind of like one of those messages where, you know, I feel like it's just very important, and you need to be here to hear it, and I can't wait to give it to you. But we're in our series called Esther, and the subtitle to this series is Where is God? And have any of you felt that way? Felt like, you know, God, where are you? Where are you in my life? Where are you in my situation? It sort of feels like I'm on my own here. I know many times in my life I have felt that way. And not just a long time ago. I'm talking about very recent. And it, it happens to everybody. You doubt and you, you question not necessarily your belief in God, but you, you question his involvement in your life. You question what he's doing with you specifically. Okay. Um, the truth is, God is there. He is. We have to hold on to that. That's what the Bible teaches. God is there, even when we can't see him. Even among our doubts, even among our questions, we anchor ourselves to his word, which teaches us that God is sovereign in this world, but in our lives. But God's sovereignty doesn't just involve God. Here's a paradox. We know what a paradox is but it involves us. For some reason, God in his sovereignty, in his power, created you and me with the ability to react, the ability to choose, the ability to think critically, and to respond. Right? So there's a paradox there. Yes, yes, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign, but his sovereignty includes us. How? Well, through our reactions through our choices, our lives are mostly reactions of things that happen to us when you think about it. I remember this quote, and so I looked it up to see who, who, who made the quote, and it came back as Charles or Chuck Swindoll is how I know him. I was thinking somebody else did it, but that's what I found, so I'll just give credit to him. He says, life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to that. And Maybe you've heard that before as well. But I think that is so true. And that's what I want to talk about today is this relationship between God's sovereignty and our reactions. And so I'm going to have about three or four things that I want you to write down. And I'll, I'll cue you when I want you to do that. And here's the first one. God's sovereignty involves his actions and includes our reactions. All right, you see that? You see this sort of a paradox, but it's a truth. It's true. God's sovereignty includes his actions and involves our reactions. How, how you react and respond to certain situations and things. Let me give you an example. So if we look in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, God sovereignly and very powerfully parted the Red Sea. Okay? And what did the people have to do? React to that sovereign act. You know, God just didn't reach down and grab them and, and pull them across. No, he said, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here it is in front of you. Now it's up to you to make up your mind. What are you going to do? Are you going to react? And the same thing happens when you look at the gospel, when you look at Jesus and the cross. Through God's sovereignty, he sent his son into the world. We did nothing to do that. We did nothing to earn that. We did nothing to beckon that other than to sin. He sent his son into the world to die on a cross through his sovereignty. And it's up to each one of us, you and me, 
to react to that sovereign act that he did. And so far in the series, we've, in their series in Esther, we've talked about King Xerxes, we've talked about Mordecai, we've talked about Haman, and today I want to talk about Esther. It's about time we got to her, right? I mean, after all the books named after her, I really want to focus in on her life and I want to, I want to talk about some things in her life and we will see this relationship between God's sovereignty and, and our reactions and how we react to certain things that God is doing in this world but in our lives as well. So we have to sort of back up and, and look at the context of this. This takes place in Persia and Persia is modern day Iran, it's very, which is very interesting. Um, And the king was Xerxes, a very powerful king, a very prominent king, a very successful king. And he was married to a lady named Vashti, so she was the queen. But here's the thing, Uh, Queen Vashti did something that made King Xerxes very mad. Actually, it embarrassed him in front of everybody, right? And he might have deserved it, right? But that teaches us that wives, don't don't embarrass your husband, right? I'm just kidding. But she embarrassed the king, and so uh, Xerxes responded and reacted and said, you're out. You know, I'm done with you. You're, you are no longer queen. You are exiled. And so the context of this is the queen is gone. There's a vacant seat for the queen, all right? And Xerxes was looking for a replacement, and he found Esther. That's a quick summary of the story, isn't it? But it's not that easy. How did, how did she become queen? How did Esther get to that point? Well, through God's sovereignty, but also through her reactions to God's sovereignty. Let me explain what I mean. Mordecai and Esther were both what? Jews. They were Jews in Persia. Now, to get that, to grasp that, you have to back up. Why were they there? They were exiled by who? God. You see, year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, the people of Israel rejected God. And God said, because of that, you're going to go to Babylon. Well, Persia conquered Babylon, you see. And so she was where she was geographically because of God's sovereignty. Also, from what we've learned previously, Esther was a dime. Do do y'all know what a dime is? No? Okay, perfect 10. So on a scale of 1 to 10, a beauty scale here, guys. Come on, didn't they say this back in the 50s and 60s? No? All right. She's a dime. So on a scale of 1 to 10, she's a 10. She was hot. Okay, do I need to say anything else? No. Okay, I'm good. We're good. And did she have any control over that? Who made her that way? Right. She might have combed her hair or something like that. But ultimately, you you see, she had her location and her looks going for, both of which she had limited control over. I want you to see that. Okay. Um, So King Xerxes is looking for a new queen, and he put this eunuch named Haggai in charge of gathering up women for him. And Esther, along in this process, where she was at and because of how she looked, was gathered up along with them. And she stood out from every one of them. 
Esther 2.9. And the young woman, that is Esther, pleased him. That's the, that's the king's unit that's on this mission to try to find the next queen for the king. She pleased him, and she won his favor. And he quickly provided her with cosmetics. Now you see Mary Kay. Before Mary Kay, there was Esther Lauder. Hey, if you guys don't know that, you need to go shopping with your wife to build. <laughs> Esther Lauder. All right. So the eunuch provided her with these cosmetics, right, which would have been a big deal. Middle East, you know, you're, it's very dry, very arid climate. To, to have all these beauty, you know, spa treatment stuff, right? Gave her that and her portion of food. And with seven chosen young women from the king's palace, what he's doing there is he's giving her the king's servants. He's given her servants to Esther. And advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Well, you see this just unloading of blessing on Esther? Right? Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. She was on her way to the top. She was working her way up. She was given all these gifts, the best food, the best servants, the best location in the kingdom. She was great looking, right? She was in the right location. She came on the scene just as Xerxes was looking for a new queen. Isn't that a coincidence? Right? It seemed like she was in the right place at the right time with the right looks. You know, it seemed like God had just poured out his blessings on Esther like everything was just working out for her. We, we see people like that sometimes, and we think that, don't we? <laughs> we look at people and we're like, why did God do that to them? You know, blessing after blessing, and look at me. Um, but that's, that's not it with Esther. That's not all, okay? God's sovereignty, but also her reaction, her part had a part to play too. What I mean by that is in the very next verse, Esther 2.10. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. So Mordecai, her older cousin that we learned previously, adopted her, commanded her not to reveal her nationality. They were Jews. Okay. And if it were to be known that she was a Jew, she would have not been welcomed into this, right, into this contest of looking for the next queen. She would have not been accepted. So when you look at Mordecai's advice here, it was really strategic in a way. He's given her strategic advice. And, and so she could have ignored Mordecai, couldn't she? I mean, we all got our own minds to make up, don't we? She could have ignored his command. Notice the word command there. All right, ladies, let's be honest. If a man commands you to do something, how do you feel? Well, you're not going to command me, buster. You better ask nicely, right? I mean, that's what we think. She could have responded that way. She could have, she could have thought, what do you know? You're older. You don't know what's going on in my generation. I know enough. I don't need your help. I don't need your wisdom. I know, I know what I need to do. She could have responded that way. She could have reacted that way. 
but she didn't. She listened to Mordecai. She did not reveal her nationality. And in doing so, by listening to Mordecai, what did she exhibit? Humility. That's what it takes to take advice and wisdom from somebody else. It takes humility. She reacted to her situation with humility. And this wasn't the only time that she did that. She, she did that another time too. So at this point here, Esther's not queen yet. She's made it into the Miss Persia Bachelorette finals. Okay? There, it, she's not queen yet. We're familiar with this, you know, with the beauty pageants and stuff like that. There's, there's processes, there's an opening, then there's a selection, then there's finalists, and then there's like a talent show, and th- there's all this stuff. She's made it to the finals, okay? So there's another step in the process. So Haggai, the king's eunuch, was instructed to bring all the finalists into the king's court and to do a trial run, one at a time. Esther 2.15. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, to go into the king, look at this, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. I know that's, for you grammar people, this is probably a nightmare. Um, it's all over the place. But here's, here's what it's saying. She listened to Mordecai, her cousin, right? She, she took his advice. And here, the king's eunuch, what does she do? She took his advice. She took the advice of Haggai. It doesn't tell us what he told her. It doesn't say that he said you need to walk a certain way or you need to do this as your talent or don't say this or do that. It just says that he advised her and she listened. She listened and it worked in her favor because look at how this, how this ends here. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. She won the favor of everyone, including the king, you see. And at this point, she becomes queen. So Esther was not just beautiful, not just in the right place at the right time with the right looks. She was humble. And we see evidence of that in the way she reacted to these situations. She, She listened to those who God placed around her. She took advice from those around her. She reacted to her situation with humility. And guess what? It paid off for her big time. Big time. Her reaction along with God's sovereignty led to blessing. And here's the second thing I want you to write down. It's so important. When we react with humility, it opens the door to God's blessings. When we react with humility, it opens the door to God's blessings. You know, the world tells us to have perseverance. The world tells us to work hard. And, and if you've got a little bit of luck, you'll go places, right? That, that's what the world tells us. And here's the thing. There's, there's a little bit of truth to that. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's nothing wrong with perseverance, and there's definitely nothing wrong with luck, right? I'll take luck anytime. <laughs> but ultimately, when we react to situations with humility, that takes us further than what we could ever imagine, ever. 
I, I love this verse in James. It's so important. This teaches us how important humility is. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. But shows favor to the humble. Many times, and I'm guilty of this too, guys and gals. Many times we think we know enough or we know it all. Many times we think we can handle the situation, we can handle anything and everything. But here's the thing, when you act like that, who's in your opposition? God. Man, and, and look, look, that is not where you or me or any of us need to be is in opposition to almighty, sovereign God. Do you hear me? Conversely, if we act the opposite, if we act with humility, it opens the blessings of God. Why? Because it's, it's as simple as this. God shows favor to the humble. Why does he do that? Why does God show favor to the humble? The very simple truth, but so important. Because his son, Jesus, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of heaven came to a dirty, sinful earth, died on a cross for dirty, sinful people. That's humility. That's being humble. And so when we react to any situation with humility, God says, that's like my son. And I like that. I just don't like that. I love that. And I'm going to bless that. And I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to show favor to that reaction because that is like my son Jesus. That's what he does. So Esther became queen. Yes, when we look at Esther, it's, we look at God's sovereignty, and that's the foremost topic. But also through her reaction of humility. You've got to see that. You've got to see. If she had chosen not to do that, we would have had a different story. Wouldn't even have had an Esther in our Bible. Those two actions, reactions of humility, made a huge difference for not only her, but for us as well. But as we all know, life doesn't just include good things, great times, happy times, mountaintops. Life includes valleys, hardships, difficulties, challenges, right? How many of you have faced a crisis? You don't have to raise your hand. All right. You know what a crisis is. I mean, it's just a dire time in your life. How many of you face or have faced challenges, difficulties? All right, everybody, right? You might be here now, now, going through a trial, going through a difficult time, going through a hardship. Here's, here's a sobering truth um, that is never easy to hear, but it's important for us to understand, is that life is certain to have difficulties and challenges. Why do I say that? And Jesus said it. Jesus said it. And we, and we would be wise to listen to that. He said, in this world, you might, no, you will have trouble. You will. 
You will. It's a given that you will have trouble. We live in a broken, sinful world, so it's inevitable that we will encounter hardship and we will encounter difficulty. And Esther was no different. She was no different. Just as she, think about this for a moment, just as she was experiencing this amazing story in her life, this big change, this rags-to-riches story, she experienced a crisis. In our previous sermons, we, we've talked about Mordecai and Haman. And Haman was the bad guy, right? We can just label him as the bad guy. But he was one of those guys that worked his way up to power the wrong way. And he got to be Xerxes' number two guy, Xerxes' right-hand man. And even Xerxes made a decree that everybody had to bow down to Haman. Well, guess who didn't bow down? Mordecai, all right? We've already learned that. Mordecai did not bow down to Haman, and this enraged Haman made him so mad that he wanted to kill Mordecai. Well, when he found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he didn't want to stop with Mordecai. He wanted to wipe all the Jews out. And look, this really happened. Haman really went to the king and got the king to make a decree. The king handed over his signet ring to Haman and said, do what you want. Do what you want. So the king allowed Haman to come up with this plan to destroy the Jews. Look at this, Esther 3.13. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to, look at the emphasis here, just so we're clear, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. Imagine, imagine the undertaking of this. Hey, we're not just going to go to war and, and defeat these people. We're going to annihilate these people. We're going to wipe them off the face of the earth, never to return again. And we're going to do this in one day. This was a massive undertaking. And when you look at the map in the back of your Bible... And you see the Persian Empire, it's pretty much the whole Middle East. Huge undertaking. Not only that, but they were going to plunder their goods after they annihilated them. Take all of God's provisions for themselves. Look, this was a crisis. If there's ever been a crisis, this is, this is one. This is one. Put yourself in Mordecai's or Esther's sandals, you know big time crisis and this devastated them both of them not only were their lives in danger but this looked like it was the end the end for their people the end of their faith and it looked like there was no hope but this leads us to a very important turning point in the story here it's a turning point in the story so we need to you know hone in on it because this turning point is an important truth for us and I want, to, I want you to write this down. Moments of difficulty provide us with opportunities to react in faith. Moments of difficulty provide us with opportunities to react in faith. That's not easy to hear, is it? But it's a truth that you need to hear. Um, it's a given that difficulties will come. Remember, life is 10% of what happens to you. 90% how you react. And so when 
difficulties come, they always bring with them opportunities to respond. There's never a difficulty without an opportunity. Never. Never. And difficulty isn't the end of the road. Many times we see difficulty as that, oh, this is the end, and it's over. No, difficulty is a fork in the road, and you have to decide which way you're going to go. You have to decide how you're going to react. And Mordecai realized that. He realized that this crisis provided an opportunity to react in faith. And he realized that if they were going to be saved, Esther was the person to do that, to do something about it. So he sent a message to her encouraging her to try to change the king's mind or to somehow do something in her power to prevent the annihilation of her people, of their race and their faith. Look at Esther 4.14. This is Mordecai, you know, talking to Esther, giving her the, the advice and the encouragement. He says, for if you keep silent. Now, look, do you see how that is a choice for her? If you keep silent. So it's as if the, we say the ball is in your court now, right type of thing. If you keep silent. Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, that, that's probably the most famous phrase in all of Esther for such a time as this. That's such a remarkable phrase. In other words, he's saying this moment right now, what you're facing is why you are here it's why you are where you are. This moment is why God placed you in the situation you're in. Here is the opportunity for you to do something. Here is your opportunity to react with faith in a difficult situation and make a difference. Wow. This is such a challenge for us, me and you. But it's also an encouragement, isn't it? What difficulties are you facing? What challenges are you dealing with now? God has positioned you to react with faith and make a difference in your present situation. You are where you are for a reason. Don't miss out on your opportunity because we do it all the time. We can. Don't miss out on your opportunity to react with faith. Look, here's, here's what happens when you do that. Your faith becomes stronger. You become stronger. Your relationship with God becomes stronger. And you never know when your reaction of faith will make a huge difference in the outcome of the situation. You never know. You do know if you don't react with faith. How would Esther react to this situation? What would she do in light of this huge crisis, not only for her life, but for the life of all of her people, you see? We can learn so much from how she reacted. Think about it. She could have avoided the situation. She could have said, this is beyond me. She could have said, I'm afraid I'm so afraid that I, I can't do anything. I won't do anything. I can't make a big difference. This guy will kill me. Do you know what he did to his last wife because she embarrassed him? What will he do to me if I go before him and question his decision? 
She had every reason not to react with faith. Right? She did. And nobody would, could blame her. But she didn't do that. She didn't do that. Esther 4.15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. <laughs> wow. This is a tough chick, right? What is she doing here? Is she sitting back? She's reacting to the difficult situation. She's reacting to the crisis. She's responded. She's made up her mind not just to sit back, but she's decided to react. She's also laying aside her fears, and she's moving forward in faith. And I know Esther, we, we've, we've mentioned before that, um, you know, God isn't mentioned, but I love this about her in this here, this verse. It says she's fasting. She's fasting, which tells us, you and me, that she's turning to God. Jews never fasted without prayer. Never, never. She's turning to God. And she's just not doing it herself. But what, what did she do? Will you fast for me? Will you do this for me? Not just a couple people, but all. Will you get all the people to do this for me? Because you see, I don't know it all. I don't have it all. I don't have the strength to do this. But will you do this for me? I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to go to God and I need you to do it with me too. And she made up her mind that after three days of prayer and fasting that she would go to the king and listen. You can read back at Esther. It's a real short book. And it tells you clearly what happens if you go to the king without being summoned. It's against the law. And if you break the law, certain death. Okay. Notice what she says here at the end. If I perish, I perish. Now, there's two ways you can read this. There's two ways you can take this. One way says it looks like she's given up. That sounds like, oh, wow, it is what it is, right? Right? Look at that. You, you could read it that way. But it's not that. That's the wrong way. It's actually the opposite. She's not given up her situation. She's given over her situation to God. You see that? She's not given up. She's given over. And she's saying, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to react this way. But in the end, it's up to you. And whatever happens, happens. Because you are a sovereign God and you are a good God. And I'm going to trust you. What, is it, what does it take to have that type of faith? What does it take? Courage? Yeah. Last thing I want you to write down. It takes courage to react with faith in a difficult situation. It takes courage to react with faith in a difficult situation. That's just truth right there. Okay? Um, 
That's basic, but it's so important. Many of us wonder, what does it take to have faith like that? What does it take to have that type of faith where I give everything over to a sovereign God? It takes courage. It does. There's some time in your life where you just have to draw the line and say, God, I'm giving this over to you. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible comes from Joshua. And the Lord is is speaking directly to Joshua here. And I love this. I've got it on uh, one of my favorite coffee mugs on the inside. So every time I drink, I I see it because I need coffee and and God, right? Um, Anyway, Joshua 1.9. He's speaking directly to Joshua here. Okay. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. One of my favorite verses. Mm, You need to highlight that, bookmark that, save it, whatever you do. You know what was standing before Joshua? The Jordan River. Not the Clinch River. The Jordan River. Big river. Dangerous. You don't cross the Jordan River. Big, you'll get swept away. There's alligators in there. I don't know if there is or not, but it sounds dangerous. Jordan River. You know what was on the other side of the Jordan River? Jericho. Tallest walls in the world around this city. You know what was beyond Jericho? Nation. After nation, city after city, filled with wicked people and armies twice the size of Joshua's army. And you see why the Lord needed to step into that situation and say, be strong and be courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you wherever you go. Same thing happened to Esther. She was facing, look, go back and read that verse. Kill, destroy, annihilate, wipe out all Jews, young and old, men and women. That's a huge crisis. She was facing that same situation. It looked impossible. I mean, the king made this order, and what the king decrees happens. It's automatic. The king decrees something, it automatically happens. Nobody changes it, not even the king. Impossible situation. But she was willing to react and do something about it. She displayed courage. I want to close. What are you facing today? You know, I know when we come to church, we, we'd like to put on a different face. We'd like to act maybe differently than what's going on in our heart and in the home. What challenges and difficulties lie before you? You know, you might not be able to control your situation, but what you can control is how you react to your situation. And what we've learned from Esther today is that God is sovereign. The Bible teaches us that. The whole counsel of of God teaches us about God's sovereignty. But God's sovereignty includes his actions 
and involves our reactions. He, through his sovereignty, he's made us that way. In this week, maybe today, in what ways do you need to react with humility? You know, there's a time and there's a place for confidence. I get that. I, I understand that. But you will never, ever, ever go wrong with a humble reaction in any situation. It may be at work, maybe in the home, maybe in your marriage, maybe with a relationship with your children, maybe at school. In what ways can you kind of see God laying before you a way in which you need to react with humility? Here's the thing. It might be hard for you to do, but it's the best thing for you to do. And you will never, ever go wrong with a humble reaction because why? God shows favor to the humble. I'm not saying that. God said that. And that's something that you can count on. In, in what ways this week do you need to show courage? What obstacle or difficulty or crisis is in front of you and you're going through it right now? And you just need to say, you need to get to the point where you say, God, here I am. My situation is in your hands, and whatever happens, I'm good with, because you're sovereign, and you're good, and I trust you. What does that take? Courage. And I would like to encourage you to have courage and to step out in faith. If we do that, also in the Bible, God says, be strong and courageous. And I will be with you wherever you go. Man, isn't that good? So be strong and be courageous. Step out in faith and guess who's with you? God. God is with you. And if you don't know the Lord today, if you don't have a relationship with with Jesus, man, life is so much better with God. It is. It just is. He gives you power that you never had before. He gives you strength that you never had before. He gives you wisdom that you never had before. He gets you through difficult days and dark seasons. Man. And how you get God in your life is you get Jesus in your heart. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God. And you do that by looking at what he did on the cross and believing that he died for your sins. And by asking God to forgive you and you give your life to him, you might say, Zach, that sounds too simple. It is. And the Bible teaches us that God uses uh, to, to, to people, this sounds like foolishness. The gospel is so basic that it sounds like foolishness to the wise. But also the Bible teaches us that in order to be saved, you call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be. It's that simple. I want to challenge you to do that today. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your, our time today together where we can just really look at your word and feel your spirit moving and working in our hearts even as we are um, reading and learning today and receiving what, what you have for us. Father, I pray that we would react to situations with humility I believe that you have revealed things to us today that where we need to do that. Father, may we react to 
difficult situations with courage and have the faith in you to understand and to believe that you are sovereign and that you have positioned us just for that moment to have an opportunity to react with faith in you. And we believe that doing that strengthens our faith in you and our relationship with you. Father, I'm thankful for just how you continue to move in our lives. I do pray for the person that's here today and may not know you. I pray that today they would give their life over to you and believe in your son Jesus and his work on the cross. And I pray that they would just live their life for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.